Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Breskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin, and welcome to another increasingly warming week here in Wisconsin. We are going to have our full panel. Claire Zauke, our Healthcare Director, will be joining us shortly. We are, however, currently joined by Robert Craig, the Executive Director here. Robert, uh, good to see you, Robert. Yeah, greetings to our digital and radio audiences. Yes, and we got... <laughs> We have a lot to talk about this week, um, and we're going to be joined uh, in the next segment by new state representative, Supreme Mora Mukunde, and we're going to talk about a number of bad bills that are moving through the legislature that are all around essentially one thing, suppressing the vote from the Republicans. We'll talk more about that uh, later in the show, but Robert, I want to get started by talking about Ron Johnson, because Ron Johnson has had and we've talked a bit about him in the past uh, month here. He's had a horrendous month, uh, but let's be clear. It's a month that he is very aware of what he's doing, i.e. he is full-on QAnon conspiracy theory. This week, Robert, and I want you to talk more about this, he, he at a Senate hearing, tried to suggest, one, we know last week that the riot wasn't an armed riot, and now tries to suggest stuff that has been proven false that the crowd was incited by a small group of agitators and fake Trump supporters. Robert, Ron Johnson's uh, becoming the laughingstock of the country. Uh, but this is all very serious because we got a 50-50 Senate. And I'll remind our listeners, he's up for re-election next year. More than that, uh, there are national commentators saying that he's humiliating the state of Wisconsin. This is our U.S. senator, and he's as big as an embarrassment as Joe McCarthy was in the 1950s. Uh, look, this is a hearing where provocateurs of the insurrection and nullifying the vote, uh, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas and Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri, were acting statesmanly-like and pretending they were just trying to figure out what went wrong and saying none of these things. But it was left to Ron Johnson to say that there, this was not a riot instigated and led by white supremacists and uh, white nationalists and Trump supporters. And this is not factual. And this is in a hearing where the, sar the, the, the outgoing sergeant of arms who resigned of both the House and Senate and the D.C. police and other uh, Capitol police officers described in very much detail who these folks were and what they were about. It is about as this is about as crazed as Holocaust denial. OK, well, and Robert, it, Robert, I think you would call this gaslighting if it wasn't essentially yeah. like, worse than that. Everybody has seen the video. We had a whole impeachment yeah. where the leader McConnell came out and basically did everything short of saying it's Trump's so fault. The facts directly. are not in dispute. It's a multi-day story. CNN spent a few minutes on Ron Johnson today again uh, this morning. Uh, so this is a the question is, what does it mean? We know it's craze that he is part of the QAnon caucus now, in fact, more so apparently than Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley. And the question is, if he is he trying to be the next Donald Trump? Does he want to be his vice presidential candidate? Is he even planning to run for re-election, or is his theory of the case about run for re-election? And by the way, given the polling of Republicans who still 
getting a steady diet of Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson and even misinformation to the right of that, uh, it's not it, it it's plausible that this is his scenario for reelection, which tells you what our situation is here. Well, Robert, I think that's exactly right. He believes that he cannot win. Well, one, I'm sure like every Republican appears to be deathly afraid of being primary by a, a Trump uh, Trumpite. Uh, if they don't pay fee to Donald Trump um, and he is leading the pack for this behavior, which is just stunning, given <laughs> given the two previous gentlemen uh, you mentioned. And uh, we're going to talk more about this uh, with uh, Representative Moore uh, in the next couple segments. But clearly, the state uh, legislative Co- Republican caucus kind of believes the same damn thing because they're running around and we'll talk more about these these bills that are just straight up voter suppression. So and and they've talked more about, you know, oh, we do. Robert, I'd love to get your comment. They the Supreme Court threw out their wacky bill to try to overthrow the election that 15 of them signed on for. Uh, so, yeah, Wisconsin, Robert, does have a very uh, interesting strand of QAnon Republicans that seems to be as strong as just about any part of the country yeah, yeah. right now. So the fascist anti-democratic movement it's no i used to call it proto-fascist now it's getting outright fascist that is the dominant strand of the republican party right now and especially their office holders even more than voters uh is functioning on big lies as fascism does which it repeats over and over again and so the big lies are that the election was stolen which, of course, is related to a big lie that's much older than Donald Trump being president, and that is that there is a massive voter fraud that requires us to have very strict standards to reduce the amount of voting, which I know we will talk about here in Wisconsin in a future segment. Those are related. The big lie that COVID was overstated and that the public health measures, such as masks, are somehow some sort of attempt by liberals to suppress your freedom, your freedom to infect other people and kill them, which is not a freedom. And now uh, the big lie, the most uncredible in many ways of all, that it was left wingers that sacked the Capitol on January 6th, not the people who were called to Washington by Donald Trump, uh, instigated on the big lie of the election being stolen and without permit directed to march to the Capitol and uh, and prevent the duly Uh, the duly constituted Congress from certifying the election, the fair election of President Biden. Exactly the kind of thing the founding, the founders were most afraid of. This is exactly what the Federalist Papers and the Constitution were written to prevent and the impeachment clauses and all the rest. Well, again, uh, you know, like I said, you would think Senator Johnson was gaslighting us, but, you know, the whole place is burnt down because we just we all witnessed it. We all witnessed it communally. Um, I want to say our our great panelist, Claire Zauke, has been able to join us. And uh, Claire, we, we've been talking about uh, Senator Ron Johnson. I'd be thrilled to hear your thoughts about his illustrious week. But um, you actually have a pretty amazing personal story. We'd like an update on how your effort to fight uh, big health insurance companies trying to charge you for a COVID bill, which they did to me too, how'd it go, (laughs) which delayed your your joining us. And great to have you, Claire. Thank you. It's good to be here. (laughs) And I wish I had better news for you, but it actually 
it actually didn't go. They never called me. I've triple, quadruple, quintuple checked my appeals letter and they were supposed to have a facilitator call me at 9 a.m. and that the appeal, my appeals hearing was scheduled from 9 to 9.20 a.m. I even double checked in central standard time on today's date in this year and uh, no such call. So if I disappear again, it's because I'm answering random phone calls that I usually don't. Uh, well, well, one well, possible oh. clue here, uh, when they charged me illegally for the anesthesiologist for my colonoscopy and denied my appeal, they just went and paid without telling me and just stopped responding. So maybe they looked at it, see they're wrong, and they're just going to pay, but they don't want to admit they were wrong to create a precedent so they can do it to other people. Yeah. Let's just say uh, there's a trend. We've talked about it early on. Uh, there's definitely efforts to charge people for their COVID testing. And Claire, you are living proof. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's a shame because uh, this is this is why people are afraid to get tested and why all of the media coverage in the world that says you won't get charged for your COVID test, uh, but, but people don't buy it despite all of that coverage, right? And, and that's one of the things that contributes, maybe not as much as like not wearing masks, but it's one of the things that contributes to community spread of this virus. 100% right, Claire. I mean, look at this. You just explained what you have to go through to prove that you shouldn't have to pay for something that there's on the news, that this stuff is supposedly free. But yet the big powerful insurance company doesn't understand that simple fact. Uh, they do. There's a systematic effort when you have uh, heat-seeking profit missiles like uh, health insurance industry uh, to do this. It's why uh, we've been talking so much and Claire has been fighting for uh, you know the idea that we everyone needs access to quality health care. Uh, and we need to make sure that testing, treatment, all the vaccines, everything is without charge. Uh, another quick lesson. I mean, this passed, this is a law, federal and state law. It shows you how democracy, even just passing a law, doesn't solve a problem. The law will be violated by powerful interests without the power to enforce it. And so that it's never over, even if you pass a law that outlaws something this clearly. With that, we're really glad to have Claire with us. We've got three more exciting segments. When we come back, uh, we are going to be joined by Representative Supreme Maura Mukunde, and we are going to talk about oh, some seriously bad bills that are moving through the legislature that have one goal, voter suppression. With that, you're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin, where Citizen Action, you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are really super happy to have new state representative, Supreme Moore Mukunde. Supreme, great to have you. Thanks. Uh, it's good to be here. This is my second time on the podcast, so it's awesome to be here. Well, I think we're going to have to have you on more, Supreme, because uh, before you were a state rep, you were constantly wanting to talk about, you know, we need this bad bills committee. We need people who can focus on a lot of the bad stuff that's coming and, and be able to respond. And well, here you are, you're a state rep. And uh, this week, we got a series of some seriously bad bills that are 
straight up about voter suppression. Want to get your thoughts on the Republicans' efforts to suppress vote uh, here with this series of legislation. Yeah, so uh, uh, we definitely need that bad, bad bills committee right now because uh, these bills are definitely bad and they all came in a slew this week. Um, I don't know. It seems like Senator Strobel and Darling, they really uh, want to get into the weeds on this voter suppression thing. Um, first and foremost, if you look at all the bills, they all start with, you know, uh, we did this Gallup poll and 59 percent of the voters uh, have no faith in the election system. And so we need to do X, Y, Z to restore that faith um, in our election system. Um, and then it goes on to say, well, in order to restore faith in the in the election system, we have to kind of suppress the vote in these many different ways. Um, there's a number of different ways they have, uh, they talk about term limits, um, they talk about ballot, so-called ballot harvesting. Um, they wanted to have one space where you, everybody drops off their, their, their ballots in the city of Milwaukee. Um, and then the worst one, in my opinion, is the indefinitely confined uh, 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 voting, uh, the indefinitely confined voter um, where they're threatening to send people to jail for like three years um, if they violate some laws or something like that. So uh, there's a slew of them. And I, I was like, is it just Strobel and Darling or or is it just or who is it? So, well, um, I think you you're I, I think we uh, better get ready. I think we're going to have more of these. Robert, first question for the representative. Supreme, thank you for joining us. And again, I don't know if you've been on since you were elected. So congratulations about your election and inauguration. Uh, thank you. So, yeah, absolutely. So. Let me follow this, okay? The people don't trust the elections because right-wing Republicans have been lying that there's a voting integrity issue for a very long time, at least uh, back to back a decade. And now the polls reflect that. They also reflect that they don't trust that Biden was um, elect, duly elected president, which of course is a lie. So you get the communication apparatus to spread the lie among people who will believe you, showing total disrespect for those people, by the way. Uh, then you go and you do this. Now, why would you do that? Why would you do this lie? And why would you then come up with these proposals? It seems to me it's pretty obvious, and this is well documented, they don't think they can win free and fair elections. They are a minority party. You see that with their redistricting shenanigans, where they've held power for the last decade. And so these are highly anti-democratic measures. They should be making voting easier, as Governor Evers does with automatic registration. In a pandemic, if you live alone, you should be able to vote uh, easily, like you are confined. I voted in person in a spring in this spring election because I live alone and it's hard for me to get the witness. The witness thing is silly. They can tell whether it's me voting or not. I'm, I'm in the system. And so this is just more of an effort to make it harder and harder to vote because they have calculated that's the best way for them to hold power. And that's all it's about. And they don't give a darn about the fundamental principle of one person, one vote or democratic consent. Am I being too harsh, Representative? Absolutely not. You're not being too harsh. Um, yeah, there, there's a provision um, that says uh, being the mere existence of a pandemic or communicable disease is not grounds for an individual to presume that they're indefinitely confined. If I have uh, asthma or I'm obese, or I have diabetes um, and I need to be at home, I don't need to be out in the public where I can you know, contract um, uh, a virus 
that might kill me. I think that I, that, that I meet the grounds for someone who's indefinitely confined and needs to be in the house if they can be in the house. But this bill says, nope, pandemic doesn't mean you're, you're, uh, you're, 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 you're confined, you're indefinitely confined. Um, and also anybody who's on the list has to renew it every two years. Um, and so it's like, why do I have to renew it every two years if I've been indefinitely confined for the past 10, but I got to renew it every two years. And uh, anybody who got on that list between March and November of last year, uh, they have to be uh, eliminated from the list. They have to reapply. They can't be on that list. But yes, you're exactly right that they want less people to vote so they can maintain power because they know that if more people vote, that they will lose power. So you're exactly right. Claire? Yeah, this is, I mean, Supreme hit it on the head, right? I mean, this is this is all about trying to make it more difficult for uh, people to vote and make it easier for um, these Republicans to, to keep their power. Um, there's there's so many uh, there's so many things about these restrictions that um, are, are are not just disrespectful but really um, like offensive to lots of different uh, types of people. And so one of the things, for example, I'm thinking about are, are the provisions that are supposed to protect against um, uh, nursing home. Uh, workers and uh, like long-term care workers from influencing uh, the people who live in their facilities vote, um, which is, is, is like not a real problem that, and I can't believe that at this time legislators are concerned about trying to legislate on. Right. And, and if I were one of these workers, I'd be so offensive. Like I'm trying to keep these incredibly vulnerable people alive during a global pandemic um, and, and you think I have time to be worried about trying to influence their, their votes? I mean, these are not real problems that are being addressed in this bill at a time when there are actual real big problems in the world that legislators should be focusing on. It's, it's really astounding that they're, that they're trying to push through um, these pieces of legislation. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with Claire. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a solution in search of a problem. Um, really. Uh, and I think that's another kind of generational thing. Uh, there are certain folks who presume that their party will get more votes from older folks. And so they don't want these young, hipster, woke people influencing um, their elders to, to vote a different way. Um, and, and so they're going to make a law that will that threatens to find them or send them to jail if they help people vote or influence their vote unduly. Oh, my God. Please. Have, have you ever... <laughs> I've tried talking to my grandparents. Come on, you're gonna you're gonna switch their position on long held political beliefs because the caregiver comes in and says, oh, "Vote some way." It's ludicrous, Claire, as you point out, and it's an insult. Uh, and uh, you look. Question question to you, Representative, is um, this stuff is clearly going to be vetoed? This is this is political. Um, I want your thoughts. We talked earlier about Senator Ron Johnson uh, basically trying to lead the charge for the QAnon caucus. We talked about uh, that in Congress. Uh, and here in Wisconsin, we seem to have a particularly uh, a conservative and uh, conspiracy-driven brand of Republicanism. We had 15 legislators sign on to a lawsuit that was thrown out this week and laughed at. Um, I think this is an electoral strategy. You want to get your thoughts, concerns about, you know, 
them just using this to set up essentially more of the same in terms of complete distrust of the system and what your advice might be to what we ought to be doing to uh, work to combat that. Well, uh, first and foremost, uh, thank you for, for that question because it is electoral. And I, I want your listeners to know that that's exactly what it is. They're, they're setting up a battle. Um, they're actually preparing to, to go to battle and go to court over the maps. You know, you have uh, Robin Voss and others willing to spend like $2 million on law firms that are from the DC area um, to, to do that work. Um, and also, uh, they're just uh, setting up this ongoing um, narrative that uh, in the two, 2020 election was stolen um, because of all of these extra non-existing people voted and and you know, the dead people voting and things of that nature and our guy lost because he it got stolen from him. They're c- continuing the Trump analysis um, and so and they want to draw the maps the same way. The way I would get more folks involved is that people got to speak up about it. We got to have the same kind of energy getting to the polls that we had in 2020, knowing that these midterm elections are coming along. They want to get rid of Governor Evers so they can have all three houses and they can just run the gambit. They'll have all three houses, the Senate, the Assembly, the Governor's Mansion, and then they'll have the court so they can just run the gambit on everything. This is um, all hands on deck, stakes are high kind of election because we got the governor running for re-election. We got a Senate seat up. There'll be a lot of influx of people here to help us get that Senate seat, to help progressive folks get that Senate seat. Um, And so they'll all be here. So this is gonna be a super important time, the midterm elections after uh, a new president is elected. So so we're gonna need everybody on deck. We're gonna need folks to get out the vote, voter education, uh, get with some of the groups that are gonna gonna be coming here and have those conversations. Well, Representative, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us. We're thrilled that you're in office and we're gonna continue to have you come on when we have bills like this, that that's all they are. They're horrible bills with an effort to fire people up about the election or other things. Uh, But uh, feel free uh, to contact us uh, whenever you feel you, you, you need to get a message out, but we really appreciate your time today. Thank you. And I will be doing that because we got a lot of stuff that we're working on. We're doing some qualified immunity stuff and uh, some other things about energy. You know, I'm on energy um, and utilities committee. So um, uh, I asked some great questions yesterday at our first committee and we'll be looking forward to doing something. We'll definitely talk more about that, Representative. Representative Supreme Moore Mukunde, thank you so much for joining us. All right. Peace. With that, we got to take a break. We're, we're a little past time. Our producer's probably not happy. You're listening to The Battleground, Wisconsin. Welcome back to The Battleground, Wisconsin. We want to, again, thank Representative Supreme Moore Mukunde for joining us in the previous segment. We'll definitely talk more uh, with, representative, with the representative going forward, specifically about a lot of the climate stuff that uh, he will definitely be lead a leader on. But with that, Claire, it's great uh, that you were able to join us because uh, I really want to talk about uh, vaccinations. We've talked a little bit about it on and off here, but it is really uh, one of the defining aspects now of our COVID uh, fight back. And, you know, we've talked in the past about some of the inequities that are clearly starting to play out. And there was a uh, a new study this week that came out that has more information uh, that underscores that. 
Uh, the study nationally found 6% of Black Americans have been vaccinated, which is definitely uh, below uh, the averages. And Claire, I wanted to get you to talk more about this. And I, and I believe you also have uh, some actual Wisconsin numbers from the study. Claire? Yeah, so um, I, I want to be clear, I don't have Wisconsin numbers from the study. Um, I have Wisconsin numbers from the State Department of Health Services, which, uh, to their credit, has actually done a, um, a decent job getting uh, numbers out there as far as transparency around who is getting vaccinated from different populations. Um, but the narrative, I think, is the same, right, which is on, on a national level across the country, um, governments have been struggling, um, or maybe even struggling is too generous, have, um, have um, failed to equitably um, distribute vaccines across uh, different uh, racial demographic groups in particular, um, and uh, sort of white Americans have been much more likely to be amongst the first people getting their uh, vaccine than people of color, in particular uh, Black Americans. And um, sort of the, the national study that um, Matt has referenced is that says that only about 6% of Black Americans across the country um, have been vaccinated. Um, but when we look at uh, here in Wisconsin, it's actually um, even worse than that. So um, in Wisconsin, as of the day that we're taping this, February 25th in the morning, um, only 4.2% um, of Black Wisconsinites have been vaccinated, which comes to um, 18,204 Black residents of the state, uh, whereas 13.4% of white residents in Wisconsin wow. have received at least one dose. Um, so, and that's um, almost 700,000. It's 684,000 uh, people. So that is, uh, I mean, that's, a, that's just about a 10-point um, difference there. So um, it's, it's really a huge disparity. And, and this pandemic has been a series of disparities, disparities in, um, in, in who's getting the, the virus, um, who gets more sick from the virus, disparities in, in deaths, disparity in treatments, disparities in testings. And this is just another one to add to the list. Uh, Robert? Yeah, so this is not a shock at all. But here's what we need to think seriously about. This is happening in blue states and in red states. Look, the Trump administration with their lack of a vaccination plan is part of it, but there are a lot of blue states involved or states with blue administrations, such as Wisconsin, despite the sabotage of the legislature. And it's the same. So we know what structural racism is. We have an unparalleled number of Democratic politicians set using the word structural racism now, now that we've had the largest outpouring of, uh, of, of civil uh, protest in, in American history, which is what happened last year after the uh, murder of George Floyd. And that, of course, has been building for over a decade. So here's where structural racism is hard. You actually have to change systems. You can't simply put the vaccine through private drugstore corporations that tend to put themselves in wealthier and white communities, uh, health systems that are supposed to be charities but place themselves out in suburbs and away from people who are the most marginalized. You have to find a way to, to change that structure. And there is still a huge gap right now. Hopefully we can close it very quickly between the aspiration of dealing with structural racism 
and the real powerful vested interest that to be taken on to actually change it, to change the structure. And you probably need a huge amount more funding for public health. We have underfunded public health in this country uh, for decades and in Wisconsin, one of the worst states for this, Democratic and Republican administrations. And that is part of the problem with our COVID response. It's Donald Trump's a lot of it. It's not all Donald Trump. And are we willing to spend more there and less on reimbursements for medical specialists who get mostly publicly funded if you add up Medicare and Medicaid and get handsome reimbursements and also want a system where they get uh, private pay from insurance companies, which is greatly bloated compared to what the actual cost of care should be. So we're spending plenty on health care. It's how we spend it. And we spend it on atriums and fancy hospitals out in the suburbs and not on a guarantee of health and public health for everyone, especially those who who don't have it in our country, which tends to be lower income people and black and brown people disproportionately, but also a lot of poor white people. So, look, we'll, we're going to continue to watch this issue. It is worth pointing out this week that DHS is attempting to try to boost vaccine distribution in some of the areas where we're seeing some of this inequity uh, that, you know, as is well pointed out, is systemic. Um, it's going to require a lot more of that. And we still continue uh, to not be getting the amount of vaccine that there's a demand, but look, we're gonna. This is this is going. This is the effort of the next three to you know six months, right? To really how effectively this gets done. So we'll continue to to talk more about this topic as as this as as we go forward. Uh, but I wanted <clears throat> to talk about an unemployment bill uh, that is moving through the legislature. Uh, Robert, I, I, this is something I'm gonna talk to you on the lead on, we we have talked in the past about the problems that have been, that exist in Wisconsin in terms of getting folks their unemployment money. Um, and we've had a, we've had the leader of, of the department uh, be terminated or essentially resign. Uh, much, much scandal around how, how this has gone. And let's be honest, this has been, uh, this has been terrible, uh, but want to just state uh, before I send it to you, Robert, this is a system that was not designed, by the way, no matter who and what computer system, you could have had the best damn computer system in the world. Uh, the system is set up to kick people out. And Wisconsin system uh, went through a decade of, of efforts to basically put more and more hurdles in front of people. Uh, but nonetheless, Robert, there was legislation moving this week that continues to just demonstrate the complete partisan divide that is getting in the way of, of really trying to help people. Uh, give us the deets. Well, truth is, as you pointed out, Matt, there's been bipartisan unity in the 90s and through the, the early aughts on making unemployment insurance harder, provide more hurdles. And I would add, it's not just hurdles, it's shaming people who by no fault of their own have lost their jobs, often by decisions of it, of the most powerful in our country, like trade agreements, for example, that benefit corporations and take away jobs, deindustrialize jobs, right? Just for example. And so, and not investment in the system. You could make this a very user-friendly system that was easy during a time of stress when family stress, depression, suicide go way up when people are unemployed and it's a stress on the whole family leads to divorce. Uh, for example, you're gonna make it harder 
with this complicated system where we're going to shame you and make it as hard as possible and make you feel like a criminal. So there's that, but there's the investment. I can tell you because I had the privilege of being on a major federal advisory committee on student financial aid in the 90s as the one statutory student member with a whole bunch of chancellors and bank presidents. And the, the Department of Education was always struggling with a computer system that was a legacy system that just couldn't do certain things. And we've not invested in that. Uh, we've not invested in having the right workforce for this. We've, this is always where we cut so we can give more money to WEDAC and more for giveaways for corporations, right? And the Republicans are worse, but they have done nothing. They've been the least active full-time legislature in the country last year during the pandemic. They've simply tried to politicize this. They do not care that people are not getting their unemployment checks. They care about hurting Governor Evers. Governor Evers does care, um, has not been able with his resources to get done. There may well have been mistakes, but these are human mistakes, not intentional mistakes. And this bill still doesn't solve the problem. It's more grandstanding. And to top it all off, the latest version I just saw, I just saw a link from a good news source, includes a liability shield for corporations who who through negligence caused people to have COVID-19. So they're trying to get that piece of junk in again. And Governor Evers, to get some resources, may have to sign it, but they guarantee no money for the unemployment system. They're simply making Governor Evers come up with a plan that they probably won't fund because they want this to go on so they can electoralize it, period, which is immoral and horrendous. Just to underscore this, um, there was a an attorney who was uh, speaking in front of the legislature and pointed out that you essentially used to only have to fill out 11 questions in order to apply. You're now well in the 100 plus questions. So it's just clearly a system designed to kick you out. Um, but nonetheless, uh, we'll continue to watch and see if uh, Governor Evers signs us with that poison pill in. Again, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. We need to talk about this big fight that's going on nationally in Congress this week around COVID relief. It's huge. It's very, very big. Uh, it's a $1.9 billion uh, plan. And the thing that we want to talk about more today, and we previewed this a little bit last week, is the fight for the minimum wage, in particular, the 15 an hour minimum wage has been strategically inserted in this. Uh, and progressives in Congress are fighting for it. And uh, it's it's the big question this week as to whether it's going to be in, in the COVID bill. Now, Robert, I know this is something you have been tracking. We are certainly encouraging all our listeners, you know, to make sure you contact your congressional member and encourage them, you know, make sure that they support this. Um, but uh, also we want to talk about Ron Kind and some others here, but Robert, want to get your thoughts on this. This is a really, really important moment here uh, nationally with the new Biden administration. Yeah. So we've been talking about this for quite some time. Joe Biden after he secured the nomination, you know, clinched it, rather than moving to the right, which is the standard Democratic mode, uh, actually made common ground with the progressive wing of the party, the surging progressive wing of the party, and worked out a whole lot of joint policies with Bernie Sanders and his policy team. 
and has been really operating more than we've seen since the 1960s in coalition with progressives. It's uh, We've had administrations under Clinton and Obama that were very much establishment dominated. And he has come out of the box with COVID relief so bold, and it's what we need, uh, that uh, the one of the masterminds of the Clinton and Obama economic policy, Larry Summers, has claimed it's four times too big. And as a Washington Post op-ed being used constantly by Republicans, that tells you how much he's moved. And one of the big things in it, there are a lot of critical things in it, like survival checks. They call them relief checks. They're survival checks, really. And real investments uh, in uh, families, in economic security, in vaccines, in backfilling states who have been being and local governments that have been hammered by this pandemic, um, a number of other provisions. But a big one is a $15 minimum wage, which would be indexed to inflation in perpetuity. They always they never index that. Right. And therefore, it falls behind. It's why we're still at seven twenty five an hour in Wisconsin. And if we'd stayed at the minimum wage of the late 1960s, we'd have one over over about twenty two, twenty three dollars an hour. That's how much value the minimum wage has lost. And by the way, raising the minimum wage raises everyone else's wages who's above that. You raise the wage floor. The next tiers of wages go up now. Right now is the big fight to keep it in there. Biden put it in there. The president did. There has been some, you know, queasiness and backsliding, some moderates who don't want to do it. And but this is the best way to do it, the only way to do it, because a standalone bill won't pass with the filibuster. So it has to go through budget reconciliation, which is a complicated process that allows 50 percent of senators plus the vice president to pass a bill. In other words, majority rule in the already minority Senate, given how much land is represented rather than people. And so this is huge. This would be the biggest thing we could do structurally and permanently for income inequality. That's right on the plate right now for income inequality, for uh, gender equality, because it because more women, uh, women are low wage jobs because we depreciate uh, uh, sectors of the economy that are predominantly uh, uh, staffed by women, caregiving, for example. And then also one of the biggest strikes we can make for racial inequality because it disproportionately helps black and brown people who are lower income. But most poor people and low income people are white. So it is in the common interest. The only people it doesn't help are the largest corporations that want to continue to take most of the benefits of our economic prosperity. And it doesn't hurt small business, I'll close on this, because your customers will have more money in their pocket to buy your services. And every state that has increased the minimum wage has not seen these job losses. When you hear about the job losses, and that's in the last decade and a half, it is because they're dry economic formulas that predict it, not empirical evidence. And a lot of economics, this is a dirty secret, is theoretical and not based on what really happens in the economy. It's a joke. Claire, any thoughts on the specifics related either to the minimum wage piece or other aspects of this COVID relief bill that are, you know, absolutely critical that we need to get this thing through? The, you know, the only thing that I read everything Robert said, right, I think he laid a really, really strong case out for, uh, you know, why the Senate really needs to be taking this, uh, this provision seriously and making sure it gets into the um, COVID relief bill. Um, the only argument that Robert didn't make that I'll make is that um, there is a fair amount of research that shows that a sizable majority 
of uh, Americans support raising the minimum minimum wage and not just raising it, but raising it specifically to $15 an hour. Um, I, I saw uh, some research from the uh, Pew Research Center, which is um, a very highly respected um, mainstream research center that found that 67% of Americans, 67% of Americans um, across parties believe that, um, that we should raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Um, and uh, and and of course, you know, a lot of that comes from Democrats, but um, also it was almost half of Republicans and that was in 2019, even before the pandemic. Right. So like this is something that actually has strong bipartisan support amongst the community. Um, and there are there are states that are not blue states that have passed wage increases. Um, I know Florida passed a minimum wage increase referendum that recommended um, raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour, granted over the course of uh, five years, I think, to twenty start to 2026, I want to say. Um, but there is evidence in states, and not just blue states, that this is something that has uh, on-the-ground support from regular people. And if senators were smart, they would listen to their constituents about this. Claire, I'm really glad you brought up the popularity of this amongst the public because this issue, this issue demonstrates probably better than just about any other issue we'll ever talk about, the real power behind a lot of what's been going on on the right. Robert often likes to remind us the power behind Voss, the power behind a lot of these folks, and it's these, it's these financial special interests and that is how you could have a situation, as Claire points out, where you have like 70% of the public supportive of, of a strong minimum wage increase, and it could be possibly held up. The, you know, it's, it's the only explanation because there's absolutely no political capital to be paid other than the capital from the capital, the money, the moneyed interests who are behind these folks. So folks, it's really, really important that you contact your Congress folks because it's only us and the people that can kind of combat that kind of power. And uh, look, it's this simple. Every worker, right? Whether you're black, white, brown, indigenous, you deserve a living wage. Your family deserves a living wage. And no one, Robert pointed out, no one can live on $7.25 an hour. No one can. And we are coming out of a pandemic we're disproportionately, it's a lot of these folks who helped and have helped us get through the pandemic. We're talking about restaurant workers who are the ones that are left, EMTs, delivery drivers, caregivers, Robert's pointed out, folks who work in a lot of our grocery stores, right? This is a no-brainer. And so I am imploring everyone who's listening, please contact your Congress folk. I don't care if you think they support it already. Let them know how important this is. And please, if you are in Ron Kine's district, please call Ron Kine. He needs to hear from you. He has supported a $15 minimum wage increase in the previous session, but this is going to be the vote that counts. And we need him to understand he needs to support it in this COVID bill. So please uh, make sure you contact your legislators. This is really important for all the things that were stated. Claire, Robert, I want to give you guys one final opportunity uh, before we close out the show. Uh, I'll give folks an update. Um, during one of our breaks, I went to my health insurer's uh, website to check my claim. And Robert's right. They did indeed 
pay for my uh, the remaining balance on my COVID bill late last night without telling me. So woo, that's great. They're like that's right, great. On they're so like right wing. They're like right wing politicians. Never admit you're wrong because they don't want. In this case, they don't want a precedent. They want to be able to charge other people, Claire. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So hey, you know, it goes to show, kids. Uh, just file the appeal because chances are they don't want to talk to you and they'll just pay it. <laughs> uh, you know why? Because they have no leg to stand on, sleaze balls. All right, folks. People power. People power matters. Uh, please contact your Congress, Congress folk, uh, no matter where you live in this country, about this COVID relief bill. But with that, we're going to have to wrap up this battleground, Wisconsin. We want to thank the newly elected representative, Supreme Moore Mukunde, for joining us, talking about the voter suppression that uh, is being pushed through the legislature. We'll continue to track uh, what they're up to. But with that, thanks, everybody, for listening. I want to thank our producer, Brian Wildridge, also, who makes it happen every week. But we will see you all next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. <laughs>